0: to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Special thanks to Lisette Nieves for being here just by way of introduction, though I feel like she needs no introduction. Lisette is a social entrepreneur And public sector leader whose experience is as varied as being a startup executive director for Europe NYC to policy positions at the city, state, and federal levels. Currently, she is a professor and director of educational leadership and policy studies at NYU Steinhardt and holds degrees from Brooklyn College, Oxford, Princeton, and a doctorate from Penn. She sits on several boards that serve the needs of young people. In addition she is a native new yorker a loving wife and mother and just a whole lot of fun so it's my pleasure and honor to consider her a friend and colleague and i'm so excited to share the wealth experience and the knowledge with you that is dr Lisette nieves thank you so much Lisette.
1: oh thank you ria it's a pleasure being here and i get to add that i'm also a puppy owner <gasps>
0: All right. We're going to exchange puppy photos later. We'll have like a puppy photo exchange for anyone who wants to participate after this. That's exciting. So, Lisette, can you tell us a little bit about your own path to leadership? Sure. I'm happy
1: to. So first, um, I just want to say good late morning or early afternoon or whichever way everyone's thinking about it. When I think about my leadership path, I would say, as with probably many other people who are on this call, it started even before there was a professional experience around leadership. It might be the role you had in your family. In my case, what did it mean to help translate, help navigate as a first generation student? And I think that uh, significantly inspired levels of leadership. It might've been through different student activities on campus. That was part of my experience. being part of the city volunteer corps in New York, huge part of my experience. I see that we have me young on the call and what is, what does service mean? And why is that important as part of your leadership experience in that? And then I worked in government and I have to say that being in and out of public service was a key bit to my leadership experience. So I will tell you on a personal level, what inspires me about my leadership route is that I like uh, opportunities to flex where there isn't much of a job description or there, and that's it's good to know that about yourself. So for me, I prefer what's not written versus what's written, I'll say that. Um, And then I prefer where there's a big challenge. And I think for two reasons, and you'll see that in my background, and any of you could see it on LinkedIn or as Ria said, And that has a lot to do with, there are times where people are really, because they're shaken up a bit, that there's opportunities to try new things that they would not have been willing to try before. So, And I like to work right at that kind of nexus where that's happening.
0: Beautiful. So, listen, I know that um, you are someone who's so driven by your values and by your integrity. And so I'm just wondering if A, you could share with us your own personal definition of leadership, and B, how do you ensure that you're continuing to act in alignment with those values of leadership?
1: Yeah, you know, so often you hear people say, I I actually, some people use a term that leadership is situational. I actually say leadership is contextual, and I think that there, there is a distinction there. So one is that some of us assume that we have to be leaders by title some of us assume that we have to be or take on leadership role because we're driven to it. It's it's something that happened that we feel there's a call or being drawn to something. So it can come from a variety of different contexts. And I say that because it's so important to understand what your context is and why that's driving you, right? So I'll give that an example. Some of us say, oh, oh my goodness, it's so great at this time that we have leadership guiding us in New York around COVID. I'm just, hypothetically saying that, but I think we are, right? So some might look at the governor and say that. And I would say that that's also about a positional authority where we expect that, right? And so, and and adding to having them flex in that positional authority. What I would say in the context is there's another definition of leadership, which is, for example, those people who are on the front line and, and thinking about COVID, the first responders and others, who are exercising a level of leadership and collaboration that they probably had never exercised before because they have to get through this crisis. So so that shows you where, how interdependent a definition of leadership is and that the context matters. I hope that wasn't too confusing, but I wanted to give parameters around that because for me, when we talk about how have I experienced leadership, One is, what is it like from being in a positional authority space versus what's it like creating a space that is a calling space? And sometimes they overlap and sometimes they're different.
0: And so can you talk us through that a little bit with respect to like what things have been true for you in your leadership and how how this has played out in your life and your positions?
1: So I have gravitated towards roles where there, was, where there was the positional and kind of the responsibility piece of leadership, right? That was understood. Okay, you have the title, you are responsible. In each of these roles, you know, your work is related to making sure that you keep the organization functioning. There is something about the pressure, that feeling that you are an important person in making sure other families are Surviving—it it is a pressure that many of us on this call get. We understand, and there's a real challenge around them, right? So there's that kind of positional authority. The other is, and the positional authority is, what is the the voice, and I would say especially at year up but in government, that you can give to people, which is the messaging and the communication piece. So that's been the piece that I've probably learned the greatest about, which is that as far as a leader, I learned that we undercommunicate, and I say this all the time, we undercommunicate, and it's just because we hear it in our sleep, <laughs> we, we say it to ourselves, we have our to-do lists and the like, we assume that everyone else is in our reality from the positional authority title, right? And the truth is they're not. In fact, I use that line, nuance is lost on everyone, right? Especially when you're in positional authority. And so sometimes in positional authority, we rely on individual relationships to get us through. When the truth is, positional authority requires us to really focus on building a group energy and team energy and communicating to the group and team at the same time. So I learned that through that, through different kind of crises or transitions, the 2008 collapse being right on wall street that was a a time and i'm not saying that all of these times are the same but it was a moment where where you could have folded um but i would say the majority of people did not people were really engaged and so i would say i learned so much about communication so i say over communication it may sound like over communication for a a positional authority leader so but it's not it's actually called communicating (laughs) right um The second thing is for someone who's not in positional authority, let's say, and that leadership When I've had those roles too, which is what I call the kind of this energy around a symbolic or engaged leadership that kind of calms and brings people together. There are a lot of informal leaders in organizations that are culture carriers, I call them, and that are folks who, who I would say could use their 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 wonderful energy and traits for good or evil i actually believe they use them for good (laughs) and that's keeping them engaged and that is that i think sometimes folks do not realize individuals do not realize when they are being called by their peers to be that kind of leader and i think that's actually a pretty exciting opportunity to flex or stretch muscle too. So when that's why, so when I think of some of those roles, some of those roles are, for example, you know, even when we're thinking about change that's happening right now with everyone going online because we haven't had a choice. Well you know what it means? It means that folks will reach out to you and say, you've been doing that for a couple of years. How do I do this or that? Like you can really work with folks in a way you become this kind of peer leader and support in a way that's helpful. I've seen it with our doctoral students. They reach out to others and say, you know what, you're scared, you're freaking out, don't freak out, I've been doing this for X amount of time. This is how you get the most of an online environment. right?" So all of a sudden, these kinds of transitions um, that are happening during times of change allows enormous opportunities for both an informal and formal leadership authority to, to come to bear, to come to witness.
0: That's beautiful. I'd love to stop for one second, in this idea of energy. And, you know, I'm from Northern California, so I feel like I can be a little woo-woo here, but um, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to speak a little bit about managing one's own energy. Because when I think about you, I think about a really grounded energy, like a very calm energy. I don't know how it feels for you living in your own skin, but that's the perception I have of you. And so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about Any practices or tips that you could offer around how to manage one's own energy and like what that does to the outer world?
1: Yeah, I think so. um, Look, I'm glad I give you that grounded calm energy. My mom says I give that to her too. I'll take it. Um, I I think that, you know, it's interesting what socialization does to you too, right? So in some cases for me, you know, probably early on things were not so grounded and this so there's a part of me that can feel grounded in that. I, I will say what I do is I, I actually look to the future as opportunity. I feel really futuristic in that. And, and I say that because that's helpful. I'll often speak in a term of what's the 30,000 square foot. So, you know, what does it mean to go? Um, Ellen Shaw talks a lot about this and others too. What does it mean to go to the balcony, right? And looked out and say, what is the situation that's happening right now? That's really important for me to do. The second thing is important for me to know what gives me energy. And that's your question, Ria, which is I need to sometimes just pull away and regroup, whatever that is. It could be uh, through any kind of spiritual practice. I, you know, For me, it might be a prayer. For me, it might be uh, playing with a pet. I mean, you name it, right? There's a variety of things, talking to family. And I also say the last thing is, what keeps me grounded is this core group that I feel I've been able to cultivate over time and they can shift of what I call a personal board or group that you can uh, let go with and that re-energizes you too, right? To just remind you of that. And so, and then the last thing is I look at when it's probably more deeply philosophical, but, and, and maybe this is a downside of being a philosophy major or it could be the upside of, of what it was, but it, I really look at saying, I am being taught something right now, and that helps me, right? So for me, that learner in me, I, I tap into that. So I embrace that, and it, and it helps me to slow down. I guess I'll end on this, which is I am a doer. I default to doing. I'm sure the majority of people on this call default to doing. When a crisis happens or when there's major change happening, I purposely go slower. And that is important for me to feel like I'm going, so I could still make a quick decision, but I communicate in a a slower tone. That's important for people to feel that. I give breathing room for folks to respond to things. But I, I say that because I think that's an important part of where pace shifts a little bit. And I acknowledge that I have to do that pace because people will mirror what you're doing too. Right, if I'm acting frenetic, right, because I have a lot of energy. But if I, on getting something done, I also know when I have to have calm energy because emotionally we have to acknowledge that in change people are having cognitive dissonance and sorting out a lot of different emotions. So that's
0: yeah. Um, and just to remind the audience and about. 12 minutes we're going to open the floor for questions so get your questions ready feel free to put it in the chat while i'm um, asking the questions so let i think the next question for me is kind of the the heart of the issue which is we're li- living through some very challenging times extraordinary times and I think that there's a lot of fear, anxiety, uncertainty among our staff, our funders, our board, and so forth, and you know perhaps amongst within ourselves and I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to the nature of change and like Yes. Why do people fear it and what can we as leaders do to help people move through that change in a productive way?
1: So one is um, we cannot be tyrannicized by this, everything is gonna be rosy and let's let's not act like there's anything wrong. Okay, so I just put that out there, right? So that that's an important. Even I consider myself an optimist. I consider myself someone who thinks about the future and is more positive about that. But I will also say that it's important to allow people to acknowledge these are the feelings that you have. For, for anybody right now in the nonprofit sector, particularly around direct services, everything has been turned upside down. Many people, and this is where it's important for those particularly in positional authority to reach out to others in positional authority to talk to also, because there are some unique needs. And one is when you have to sit down and you have to make decisions about how long do I keep someone on payroll, right? when your, val- your budget may not extend the way your values extend. Rhea, do you see what I'm saying? And that, those are real choices. So to act like those aren't happening is not, is not fair. So what I will say is that we're also at a point in time where it's different, where we will see a role of big government in a way we haven't before. So, for the first time, nonprofits supporting them, thinking about them, extending unemployment—all those things are now directly related to a discussion with nonprofit leaders that would not have been directed to them last year if they were having financial challenges. So that's how you kind of have to balance some of these things. Literally, I had a talk with a leader the other day he said well, we're gonna transition folks at this time and then we're gonna make sure that they're able to get an employment at this time and we're gonna fill the gap between this. It was a whole different discussion around how to work with what are some of these emergency systems that are there. Not saying everyone has those discussions, but I would say that kind of nimbleness is important. So so one is acknowledge that these are not the times that everyone thinks that's just gonna be the same tomorrow. Two, people have to kind of mourn loss and that's fine. They have to do that. That's, I was just thinking about it the other day. It's been three weeks since I've seen my colleagues at work in person, right? I, 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 I'm the person who loves to come in and bring in, you know, an extra treat and say hi and walk around and check it. You, you almost don't realize how important the physical is to that for some of us, right? For some of us, right? And so, so there's also a little bit of that kind of mourning that has to happen. But I will say this for those in positional authority too and those who are coming in, think about leadership in multiple contexts. What is the opportunity of the future that allows new leadership experiences to come forward. So I, I just had a class with students uh, last week and we didn't have an agenda. We just talked about what's happening. Acting like it's not part of their life is, is false, right? Like we just have to acknowledge that. And people want to be seen and want to be heard. That's it. And we got to find the space to do that. But we also can't allow it to just dwell there because we have to also create perspectives for what can the future be too.
0: And how do you know when that balance is right? Because I, I feel like in my own experience, like one of the mistakes I've made in my leadership journey, I think is trying to like turn the page too quickly for people yeah. because I'm like, okay, now it's like on to the doing uh, without giving enough space for the, the feeling in the morning. So it's like, how do you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think this is an interesting one. This is more sometimes art than science in some ways, right? This is one where sometimes people really count on you to help shift the narrative for them. Like we can't underestimate that, right? For some of us, we like to drive the narrative. The majority of people want the narrative driven and shifted for them. I do say that, right? Some folks just, some folks will say, I need you to, to help me think differently right now because I don't, I don't want to be thinking about this all the time. And that's good to know on your team who else people think about that, having multiple voices that can do that. You you have to be able to, to do things in finite spaces and let people know. So for example, with a team, and I've done this in the past 2 we're going to have this hour to talk about this. And we're going to go into that and we're going to have this. And then the next class, we're going to be focused on what the agenda is there too. I'm still available with X, Y, and Z, but I don't want to, Act like this is not happening, right? So there's, you have to give some boundaries to it too. You also have to be prepared to know what your biases are. You cannot go down the rabbit hole, right? With your team right there too. How do you take care of yourself? And I'd say the biggest part about leadership right now is you can't give from an empty cup. The last thing is too, we're we're all in a state of mourning. Quite a few, I know I've experienced people that I care for deeply. have COVID-19. I know of folks that I've worked with who have passed away from it. This is an intense time, right? So we can acknowledge it, but we can't just stay stuck in it. So
0: last question for me before we open it for the floor. I'm really curious about what sort of opportunities you see coming out of this, because I I think it is forcing us to think differently and do differently than we have. And I think a lot of us have talked about you know, uh, the future of work. Well, guess what, the future of work is here and it happened overnight. So can, what are some of the thoughts you have about what yeah. this looks so, like? So,
1: so, so I started probably more of my kind of activist leadership during the AIDS crisis. And some of you know that already who know me. And what I would say was different about that time was that we had leadership that didn't even, wouldn't even say the word HIV. People did not want to acknowledge it. People were dying. No one wanted to acknowledge it. And you could feel that deeply personal and you felt really isolated, particularly marginalized communities at that time, mostly gay male communities, people of color, low income, right? You were feeling that. This is a time where everyone is experiencing this at the same time. And people are saying the words and acknowledging it. So that's one. Two, this is at the same time people are actually saying, what are the racial and economic implications for this at the same time very early in the pandemic? I don't remember that before. So this is a really interesting notion too. So technology is allowing that level of information to get out there. I think the third thing too is for people who care deeply about equity, care about those that are extremely marginalized. There is, I think there will be momentum and movement building around groups that we don't necessarily, give the visibility to before. And fourth, even in terms of technology and learning, the question of whether we get online or not is not the question anymore. We can actually move to the question of what does quality tech learning mean, right? In a way that we've not really gone and and mass scale talked about. And I guess the last one is, um, which we haven't had um, discussions about, and I'm not saying that we would do that here, and someone brought that up which is how do we think about electoral reform and voting, which I think the civic duty and responsibility pieces are, this is gonna be huge. So I, I just, I throw those out there. And um, so I, I, I think that there's a lot happening there. And for those who are movement builders or feel energized, there is enough happening in this pandemic that allows room for so many new leaders to build agendas around um, change that I think we've been needing for a long
0: time. Certainly exciting, uh, even as we're dealing with some interesting new complexities. So um, I have some questions coming in. So Shimika, do you wanna uh, unmute yourself and ask your question?
1: So my question, and hello everyone, and thank you again for doing this, Lisette and Ria.
0: Great to be here with everyone. Um, How do we plan for the future when your staff is
1: overwhelmed in the present Mm -hmm. and dealing with their own loss? Um, you know, some people stay in crisis management and you just focus on like maintaining the core business, yeah. but at the same time, as you said, there are unique opportunities as well to sort of think to the future. What would be your recommendation on handling that? Uh, you have to have two plans, right? And that's the hard part about it, but talk about flexing a muscle. You have to have, for some people thinking about the future might be, Jamaica thinking about the next month, Right. That might be all the capacity they have. This is where it's interesting, where you have board members, people who can separate a little bit more and say, what would this look like? So I sit on a board right now and we spent the entire board meeting appropriately so talking about what are the plans for kind of contingent staff? How long do they stay on board? What would be transition plans, right? That took an enormous amount of time. What didn't take as much time and another board member brought up was like, now we know you have another modality of providing service. How can we explore that as a model to think about in the future versus just thinking about this as an emergency response model? And so the ED in particular in this case was like, I'm buried in this, guess what? Contextual leadership, Another person said, I would love to take that on and lead that and talking about what could that look like. So that there is that piece too that can happen and that's an interesting example of that. But you know, for your organization, you might say we can only do it right here right now, All right? But if there are others who are willing to, cause that helps them get through things. To as I say, focus on a piece that you cannot focus on. And, and I it's, this is important too, it's dangerous to have a board board member. I've always said that. I really feel strong about that. This is where you put a board member on that or an advisory board member of things like that, because that helps folks move too. We forget that social distancing is a privilege. The fact that we can do that is an enormous privilege right now. The fact that we're all online is a privilege, right? And some people are having cognitive dissonance with their sense of privilege right now. You want to give them something to do. You have them talk a little bit about the future and have them lead that. I I would do that. Well, maybe just suggestion while you focus on some of the immediate needs.
0: Thank you. Rochelle, I see that you have a question. Do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question? Sure. Hi, Lizette. Um, Thank
2: you for your leadership as always. So my question is around what are some tips that you have for us on how to be innovative during this time? Um, I'm finding that I have the energy to kind of keep our current goal pulse moving forward, but struggling to
0: kind of create the space for that creativity that I know is needed on, you know, what
1: could be a changing work environment
2: and workforce within the next three to six months.
1: Yeah. So um, it's interesting. Someone just asked me that the other day. And the first thing I said was, how often do you listen to the news? Because I think it's important to start with a news diet. I say that because that could keep you trapped in a loop. And I just, I'm, it's not that I'm against the news. I totally am. And trust me, I'm a news junkie too. But I, so I'd say there's, there's, think about a news diet, right? Um, so that's one. I say the second thing is create a list of all the things you held to be true of why you do the work that you do, right? Step away from it for a day, come back to it and say, what has been shaken up? I look at the stuff that you're doing in Sesame Workshop and Mm -hmm. the work that you put out regarding how children can understand COVID-19, right? That was a pivot. You gotta Mm -hmm. remember Sesame did this in talking about death. And I would say it probably needs to happen again at some point. So I'm just throwing that out there. Like what what are the things that you felt that were immovable and inflexible? You come back a day later, you'd be surprised what are the things you can push on? And the reason why I don't say "Do it in the same seating" is because you need space from it.
2: Great so Thank try, you
1: so much. try that. Try that as a strategy. The other is, always ask, go back to your biggest critics' emails and not not to not to give them too much,
2: mm-hmm. but to
1: say, "What were people critical of that we couldn't do in the past?" Just revisit some of that. So then you have two, but I think those are those are ways to start helping you think. In a way, being opportunistic, and I don't mean that in an exploitive way, I mean that in a way that is generative and energizing. No,
0: absolutely, because we, you know, still want to continue our community outreach work and serve, but we have to do it differently. Um, and so it's creating the resources, but now how do we make them get into the hands of the kids that truly need them um, beyond sort of folks that are able to access digitally um, our resources so thank you that's helpful yeah yeah and
1: you could fi- i mean you could figure that out i will tell you right now i i think the absolute disruption of parents getting closer to what is happening with their students education is unbelievable and i say that's across class it's not just this is not you know we could spend time talking about those who are not online i will mm-hmm. tell you for those that are online they're like how do we make sure we do this? And mm-hmm. wait a minute, are these the expectations that I thought we were signing up for or not? Mm-hmm. I actually think we've radicalized quite a few parents. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some kind of, in the future, much larger and diverse homeschooling cooperatives who want to push some boundaries on that. Mm. I, I just think that's a fascinating thing we haven't. So for you, it's, it's, it becomes much more Rochelle who is the group or that small group of parents that are the influencers that will get your workout? Versus thinking of it through institutions—that's mm-hmm. a radical departure from the way you may have thought about it in the past.
0: Yeah, and I actually—I'd love to just echo what you were saying, Lizette, because say, I actually think if we can take this time to actually do the planning and the creation that we always said that we wanted to, but we were just too busy to do. Well, guess what—you have a whole bunch of time now, and so if you can sort of mentally put aside the space to create and to do the planning that you wanted to or even, you know, all of the tasks that you said that you were going to get to, like you know, cleaning up your donor database. That's always- and, then, you
1: know, and that's for those who can do that, right? Who mm-hmm. have the time, right? This is where you can help folks do that, right? Mm-hmm. Where- Where's the time you can have, right? I, I'm ignoring a closet, though, but go ahead,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if we weren't socially distancing, I'd come over and help you. I Marie Kondo'd my house. It was very exciting. All right, Myung, I'm, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I think you are also an extraordinary leader. I'm wondering if there's anything that you'd like to add to the conversation.
3: I can't believe that I am being um, called an extraordinary leader with Lizette Nieves on the phone, because she is my role model and my mentor, oh, uh, which... Go, go, wait. Oh, um, you know, I'm I'm going to be starting a new job in May, May 1st, at a social service agency that's dealing with shelter population, homeless population, um, domestic violence victims, all of that stuff in the New York City area. And I am doing a lot of thinking about a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today. And how do we get there? Uh, and how do we make sure that I mean, just from basics, like starting a whole new job as a CEO and president of a huge organization without actually being able to meet any of my team, without being able to go shake their hands and say hello. And, you know, and I'm the kind of a leader that likes to be in people's faces and shake like, like Nizette said, with bringing the treats. I mean, I'm there with the bagels and the cookies and I can't do any of that. So there's a lot of thinking about the future. And I do think that thinking about the future and the opportunities we have already, the organization has done some incredible things about providing benefits to their staff. That's additional emergency benefits. Uh, And I'm thinking about, you know, what else can we be doing and how do we continue that practice? for the pop, for the staff, not just the clients, but for the staff that are so oftentimes underpaid in social service organizations, because they're relying on government contracts for their salaries. So how do we make sure that we're able to sustain that? How do we communicate that, speaking of communication to the donors and to the world at large, so that they start to recognize and take, um, not advantage of, but take take, be opportunistic in a good way about the um, focus on the heroes so all of this conversation about the heroes yes it's also the healthcare workers but the grocery workers the shelter workers all of that so how do we take that as an opportunity to really continue that and use that as an opportunity to sustain the increased pay for the staff or to increase benefits etc so there's a lot of the noodling going on in my head about how can we think about the future and I do think helping it's helping me personally a lot to be thinking about the future and to think about the opportunities that lie ahead rather than all of the sadness and the grieving that uh, I was going through last week it was a bad week last week but this week um, I'm trying to focus on the future
1: and I would say this is where you want to pull people together and say this this session is about me talking about the future right this is what I always say what are the best leaders I don't care which context you come in through leadership is self-awareness and, and, uh, and that's really sometimes underrated or underexplored. And I think that piece is important. In order for me to show up, I'm very clear. If I'm going to go into a meeting with Brian or Raynette, I see them on the phone. Right. If I'm going to go into a meeting, let's say they're on my team. Hi, they're on my team. I got to think about how I'm going to show up. And I have to tell you, that check, for me, that's what slows me down, especially in a moment of crisis now. Because what it does is say, before I show up for them, I need to take care of this, which means talk to a group just so that, like Myung said, I could just mourn a little bit about what happened last week. Or I know that I need to energize a group right now. I need a jam session on what does it mean to be futuristic and opportunistic, as again, in a non-exploitive way, about what we can be doing and how we can pivot. It is okay. Understand that people want to, our moods, our needs are shifting, and we can count on each other to to follow us in those. So I think that's an important piece to remember, too. As a
0: follow-up question to that, said, I'm wondering if you think that this is an opportunity to sort of flatten our organizations and look at more distributed leadership models, because it's not going to be business as usual.
1: Yeah. Well, I think to act like every business is gonna survive is false, or every nonprofit that's gonna survive is false, right? So we can't that's real. People feel that when I walk outside with my appropriate social distancing requirements and the like, I look at all these shuttered restaurants and I know how few survive anyway under a regular circumstance, right? Like so that's important, right? Like that is one of the toughest businesses to go into. And I'm like, wow, two months from now, all of Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn is going to look really different, right? And I'm starting to already see four rent signs up, which means they've already decided not to do it. So I'm throwing that out there as an, as an interesting example. So, the, so you're right when, you know, what are opportunities? I think that there will be more organizing than we've seen. I think restaurant and hospital workers will be organizing in ways we hadn't thought about because of this greater vulnerability that's out there. I also think that, and I would say this too, I think we underestimate that you can have a sense of intimacy and connection with technology. What does it mean to be high tech and high touch, right? I I kind of, you know, everyone says, oh my God, you have a high schooler. Well, I'm shocked about that, but let's say I do. I do have a high schooler. say, so how's he transitioning? He's fine in the way, you know, in some ways because, Some ways that works. Of course, he's not every high schooler. I'm not saying that that's the case, but I think it's an interesting thing around even me challenging the norms of what does it mean to connect with someone? Um, And what are the limitations that I assume are in technology that are not there? So there is that. So I say that's where there's the opportunity that could be there.
0: And this is actually a great segue to Anju's question. Anju, do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question?
2: Hi, Ria. Hi, Dr. Nieves. Um, I'd love if you could talk a little bit more, Dr. Nieves, about cross-sector leadership in this time of uncertainty and how leaders can still continue to amplify connecting with other groups instead of being in a siloed mentality. I know we're all thinking about our own budgets and making the next payroll. How do we still keep that cross-sector leadership uh, roundtable available to amplify this balance of equity.
1: You know, when Rochelle asked, well, how do I stay innovative? I would add in there, what are the things you held true? What are the assumptions around who were your expected partners? And I would say that is where there's going to be the greatest shift to. That people are going to see opportunities um, across that. I say, to get through this, we have to think outside of the silos. We do. So when I hear a young saying, I'm going to be working with domestic violence, we we know enough about the research of what are the pieces that underlie that. She's, when I'm talking about organizing, she's gonna be working closely, potentially, with people who are organizing who've been unemployed, the stresses, the tensions that they have, right? They're gonna do that. We're gonna to have to think broadly around what are other cross-sector ways to solve, I would say financial modeling is a perfect example where you have to go outside. I literally saw this happen in another board meeting. I was inspired by it where the, um, the ED was like, Look, I'm so overwhelmed. Forecasting for six months, max. Guess what? We had someone else on the board who was like, I love modeling. I love forecasting. I know that sounds, there are people who love it. They love it, right? But it gave comfort to that ED to have someone help do some. And I say that because we're being pressed in ways. So, this is where some cross sectoral stuff can happen too. I would also say too that when I think about the work that you do, Andrew, too, it has been the lens of people who work in out of school time that have had the greatest retention of students. Not just in, the, in fact, we, we know this. We've seen them, we've seen higher attendance rate in after school than day school. That blows me away whenever something's happening, right? You think about that, not in every school, but in some cases, right? So the level of community connection that you may have and who has needs because you are directly related to the parents will help me out. You will know the restaurant workers before the teachers will know the restaurant workers. You will know the hospital workers, you will know. I I just say that because all of a sudden your proximity as being a wraparound service becomes really important, thinking about who's marginalized and people will need that data and information. I hope that helps.
0: Lissette, I'd love to go back to your point around opportunities to organize and to lead because I, I do think you know technology has made it possible for us to organize, to communicate, to uh, to talk to each other, and break down the silos in ways that hasn't really been possible before. And I'm wondering if you could. Say a little bit about like some examples that you've seen that are sort of glimmers of of hope or inspiration for folks as they think about leading their own communities or their own uh, change agents.
1: Yeah, so I think about, and I know Brian, you have a question too. So let's say I'll, I'll give an example of Exalt, right? Sometimes when we think about internships or work apprenticeships we often think about them as being hands-on directly related to someone and we segment it by white collar blue collar what level of pay if they're the lowest level of pay they have to have direct supervision i'm giving an example right all of a sudden distance learning distance management opens this up across the pay scale in a way that i think the future work we haven't been talking about right what will this mean if Brian wants to run a program for young people who are working as alternatives to incarceration. What could that look like remote working, right? What are the possibilities of that, right? That wasn't probably on the table in a meaningful way six months ago. It has to be on the table today. And I would say that for anyone who's doing transitional housing, transitional work programs, stuff like that. So what does it mean to train and support remotely, not just those that are we consider skill level, but those that may even be lower skilled. So I I think we I think this opens the door a little bit more to what I think are people thinking and organizing around this in ways we hadn't hadn't thought about it. I also think that when you say what are organizing opportunities, what is it what is going to be a national agenda or voice around what are the minimal expectations that we expect employers to be providing people. I do think that there's going to be some push around that. I feel that. I don't know why. I feel it. And maybe, actually, I actually don't think people are going to be that quiet about this, right? I, I think they're going to feel this in a major way. So revisiting how we talk about healthcare is going to have to happen. It's just going to have to happen. I'm, I'm not saying what outcome I expect to happen in that, but I think things that we thought that were tabled are not tabled anymore.
0: So. Yeah, it's certainly an
1: exciting time. Uh,
0: Brian, I know you have a question. Do you want to unmute yourself now?
1: Sure, I think one question I have, okay. thank you all of you for um, for doing this, is we've seen some funders be really responsive, um, reactively and proactively in terms mm-hmm. of sort of everything from releasing some of the restrictions to grants to actually offering some more support which has been been really helpful and i wonder if if there's a way in the short term for us as organizations to kind of track who's doing what and then in the in the long
3: term to see like sort of who are the the leaders who are kind of helping to
1: foster some of that organizing that that you've been talking about and then also thinking about if the sector is changing are there funders who are thinking about nonprofits merging and things like that that might be more in situa- yeah. institutional Brian, I think that this piece, look, I'll be upfront with this bias. I absolutely think that any philanthropic organization should be moving to general operating support right now at this time. I I just wish that could happen, but people have different reasons and things like that, but they don't. Um, I do think this is where the national nonprofit organizations and others need to make statements together. And they have, I'm actually pretty proud of that. I would say New York is a unique one, but the the New York one, Brian, is much more around government funding. And we don't know, right? Extending a contract doesn't necessarily mean that that helps an organization. And that's what I'm seeing more of right now, right? Extending is, for some people they're like, well, what do I match that extension to? We can't get this done, right? So this is where I think that there is, um, still room there are affinity groups that are out there and i could send some links to ria she has them as well too when she she did another podcast on this but i would say this is one where you want to make a statement up front and you'd be surprised who might sign on that so it's it there's wide room for for change on this but the government contracts one that is one that's up in the air it still is people are still trying to figure out what's happening um
0: and i think we have time for one last question from brian lewis so brian Sorry, I got confused with the Bryans. No, the that's Bryans. Fine, they're both <laughs> great too many Bryans. many of us. <laughs> so many Hallie
2: Bryans. Said, said, and thank you so much for creating this space for us. It's been really informative and helpful. So on the program side, we're seeing everything that you're saying be completely true. And at Exalt, we've done a really good job of pivoting. And we have this young and energetic staff that have created this incredible virtual uh, mm-hmm. platform and curriculum for our young people. We've had uninterrupted services throughout this time. And I'm so proud and amazed with the work that they've done to carve out these liberatory online spaces that are inspiring our young people every single day. But on the um, admin side, in terms of funding, you know, it's been tough. And I know a lot of people are probably in a position right now where they're forecasting for their next fiscal year. You know, we had to cancel our annual gala, which is our main revenue generator. And we are hearing from a lot of our funders that they're not going to be taking on new organizations to support. Even though we had gotten really close to getting commitments from them, so I'm just curious if you have any other ideas or notions about what to do when philanthropists are saying, no, you know we we were excited about your work before all this happened, but now we're we're going back to you know the kind of what we think to be essential, the homeless you know organizations and things like that. when we're doing work that we know is important and young people who, as you mentioned, are incarcerated or court involved, yeah. they really need these services. so um yeah. you know, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there's two things that are happening. I think when I when I started, I talked about that the role of government and emergency funds and supporting organizations to do their work is gonna become bigger for people who've never even thought about relying on government. I'll just say that, because I do believe that's gonna happen. The same way the governor said that this may be the worst week we will see an in infection rates of COVID, right? We talked about that. I will tell you it's actually next quarter that I think we're gonna see the greatest hit in nonprofits. I will tell, uh, there's no question. Building a scalability model and finance model before COVID is not gonna be the same. So that means going back and saying the plans that you had, I know of, of a few organizations that were fortunate enough to pull out of lease decisions and discussions. I will tell you, this is a time to be thinking about where, how, what can I renegotiate as far as operational costs, that allow me to experiment with other things, but very few people might be able to scale up if they're not doing emergency responsiveness. Now, with that said, there is also a movement to let more people out of Rikers and other places that allows you to have a platform to be a player and thinking about absorption of transitioning inmates right in a way that others hadn't been able to fill. So that it maybe wasn't what you thought of as your primary, but this might be an interesting place for you to think about that. And that has a separate set of funds that is not probably through a traditional funder. So I'm, I'm saying that right now. Um, I can't read the tea leaves. I wish I could, right? Um, but that's just my expectations of it. And, and when particularly for nonprofits who are in it because they believe so strongly in the mission and values. And like I said this, Ria, earlier, When your budget can't reflect your values, it is really hard. It is really hard. It is hard knowing how much need is out there and you can't keep the staff to keep going at that level. So so I would revisit what scaling means. um, And I would also push and see what is happening in some of these care funds. There's another one that's gonna be coming out and see what's happening for folks who are transitioning or are doing some alternatives, right? I'd also, if I were you, do a quick blog post on what, is, what are we learning about doing justice through video? Is it, advan- is it advantageous for our young people or disadvantageous for our young people? How a judge is thinking of or not, because there, there are different groups that are gonna be able to respond to that. But I, I wish it could all just be good news, sorry.
0: So I'm wondering if you could maybe follow up that comment with any thoughts that you have around fundraising and the board, because I I do think, you know, we're going to see institutional funders double down on existing grantees. I think corporate funding is probably a a goose egg in the near future. Government funding is sort of an interesting question, but um, this, you know, individual donors and your board could play a really interesting role. Yeah,
1: so there are two ways you could think about it, and and it made me think of like Rochelle's question too. I'd probably, if, if Rochelle, I'd suggest you read the book Scarcity because I think that's an interesting book. And some people think that out of scarcity you become more creative, and for people who come from low income families or others, they've been more creative than we could ever imagine, right? So there is there is an argument around what scarcity can do. There is also an argument that scarcity can paralyze you to not think of opportunity too, right? So you have to decide what is your your motivator in there. So when thinking about fundraising right now, I would say the first thing is, is asking yourself, what is, what is essential to our name and brand? What is, if everything got stripped away, what is the one thing that I know I need to keep doing? Right? What's the one thing? Okay. You answer that question. Is there money to keep doing that? That, you know, by forecasting, what do you see? What are some, things there. Can the CARES money fit in on that or not? I'm just throwing that out there, right? Then that allows you to go into another space where I would say, what is an opportunistic way that I can f- find funds for this group in a modality in a way I hadn't thought about before that might be attractive at this time? So those are once you go through those thinking processes, and sometimes they all happen at once in a mashup, that'll help you think through how you might want to fundraise. because. One way of fundraising is not going to be helpful. You need to think about, am I accessing emergency funds to stay afloat for essential services? Am I accessing funds to do something nimble and innovative that can send a message to the field from a different type of funder? And one is funding that's going to be business as usual that I need to retain the existing funds, right? So I'd say you have to be, you have to be flexible on shifting those kinds of messages that are out there and doing that um, so there's not one way of fundraising and you have to decide some people say i don't want to be in the business at all of the nimble and making a statement to the field i'm just trying to deal it in the essential space right for some people they may say there there isn't enough money in my essential space i need to do x right i'm just that's where i would throw those up but i will tell you this. Anytime, get clear on some of the basic research on this, which is saying anytime we have an economic downturn, we know the risks that go up. We know what happens to the economy. We also know the social impact risks that happen. And the work that many of you are doing here is exactly needed at this time. I will tell you that more than ever. And so you could also show that data. What do we know about domestic violence that happens with X, Y, and Z? Right? What do we know that happens with court involved youth that don't have opportunities to work? And that? so the, the messaging and what I would call the evidence, not just data, we have evidence that can suggest support for your organization, is now ratcheted up. I, but I will say this last piece I have a bunch of graduate students and they are fearful of the market. They are, right? Or undergrads, right? They are panicked about the market. I actually think that, I don't think that there'll be many hires happening over the summer, but I think they will they may pick up again in the fall, depending on what kind of relief money there is or other things that are happening related to this field. So,
0: And Brian, I would also suggest maybe looking at the webinar I did last week around fundraising in a crisis, because I that might be helpful to you as well. Um, so we actually only have four minutes left, which is, set. Uh, we could talk to you for hours and hours, I'm sure. Any last thoughts that you could close us out on as we think about moving forward?
1: Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd say this is a time to be kind to yourself, right? And I think um, sometimes some people think of that as being indulgent, but it's not. I actually think that's a really important uh, moment. I think this is a time to tell the people you love that you love them. I think it's important to... To, to just do those kinds of things and maybe have those discussions that you haven't had. I'm actually, you know, it's, it's a hard time for a lot of people, but I would say at the same time too, um, for some of us life slowed down, for some of us life never slowed down, right? right? Think about where you can be a resource to someone else, whether you're really in the capacity to hear someone grieve, right? And say, I could be that person that you could just grieve with or let loose with, or I could be that person that could be thinking about the future for you to help you shift too, right? And that's okay, because we can play both those roles. So think about that as you're sitting in your moment of your kind of social distancing that that you can also give to others.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Lissette. As always, your wisdom, your grace, your generosity has been incredible. Uh, thank you so much to everyone on the call. I will make this video available on the event website probably in a couple of days once I get my act together to edit it. But as always, Lissette, thank you so much.
1: Thank you all and the best of luck to all of you.